So let's open our, our Bibles this morning to the book of Hosea. Now, if you know what, where Hosea is, if you don't, don't feel shame about turning to the front of your Bible and finding where Hosea is. We've been sitting with the girls uh, in the evening and we were saying that to the girls the other day, use the front page of your Bible. If you don't know where the book is, don't, that's why that page is there. It's not an inspired holy page, but it's a very beautiful page. Um, if you find Daniel, it's the next book on from Daniel. Before we get to this, so put, your, put your finger in Hosea, thumb in Hosea, and we're gonna come to that. Um, quick recap for those of you that are visiting, those of you that were not here last week. Um, we didn't get to the, one of the main thrusts last week because we just we took some more time in, in our ministry, and also we had some technical issues last week. But one thing we didn't get to touch on last week was in our journey through Amos. We're going through the Bible in chronology, chronologically, and we're doing it over three years. And so we're entering the, the phase of the minor prophets, not because they were shorter and not because they worked underground. It was because the books are shorter, the minor prophets. And so we're journeying through them in our chronology, and Amos and Hosea are about the same time. So we looked at Amos last week, a man who traveled from across the southern border, and all the Scots were like, someone across the southern border? <laughs> My goodness, coming to tell us what to do? Praise God for Amos coming across a southern border into, from Judah. There had been a split in the nation, so he came across into Israel, telling the people what needed to be told. Are we willing to receive that, Scottish people? Amen. Yes, we are. Thank you, Lord. He braved the wrath of the northerners. Any English people in the room this morning that would sense that? I hope you've been made to feel welcome in our country since you've arrived. He braved the wrath of the nor northerners to bring about the warning of coming judgment. So again, it was that aspect of I'm going to go and say something to a people that don't want to hear it. Something that isn't ultimately that ultimately is good news but for them was not going to be good news it was a word of judgment not because and this is so key i think in today's world when we think about judgment we don't really like to go there because the people will think that god is abandoning people they were receiving judgment, not because God was abandoning his people, but because they had already abandoned him. And in their peace and in their prosperity, this was a period of real peace, prosperity. We said that because Jonah had reluctantly gone to Nineveh and the Assyrians had had a period of calm where they had come to trust in God only for one generation by the look of it. A period of calm unfolded. And so Israel had peace and prosperity. And what did they do in that peace and prosperity? Well, they made alliances with other nations. They got comfortable. And what happens when we get comfortable? 
we can start to get cold to faith and so they abandoned God over the generation in a let me use this as an illustration in a sense they spent their mornings feeding their own desires what did you have for breakfast folks and if they have lots of chocolate no they spent their morning in their day feeding their desires they spent their afternoons worshiping idols and then they had the audacity to walk into the temple at night and try and worship God now that wasn't their every day but that is the picture of their lives they were feeding their flesh they were worshiping Baal uh, and Ashtaroth other other fa false gods Again, we go back to the Tower of Babel and we can unpack it from there. Those of you that have been journeying with us know we've been looking at that. And then in the evening or at a certain point in the week, they had the cheek to go before God and bring him tithes and offerings. I mean, unbelievable, really. And so they were, in essence, worshipping everything and anything. And then after all that, they would pitch up in the evening, of course, to offer things to God as if nothing had happened. Their conscience was so seared that there was no repentance. So they would do what they pleased. They would suit themselves and then they would come before God. And because their conscience was so seared, they didn't realize that that was the wrong thing to do. There was no weight. Who's ever had a conscience, a weight of conscience on you? It's a, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? We don't like to talk about it in this contemporary culture because you just do you. We're all on a pursuit, not we as in church, but the world's on a pursuit of happiness. Where are the parameters then in life? What does God say about our pursuit of happiness? How about our pursuit of holiness? How about our pursuit of God? How about our pursuit of his kingdom purpose. So the people have lost their way. They've let go of justice. But here's the thing I didn't get to last week, and I might not even get to Hosea this morning if I don't get this. Let's try and get this out. Before they let go of justice, they had let go of righteousness. And that is a word for today. Everyone's crying out for justice today. And justice is a good thing. But here's the question. Justice without righteousness isn't justice. It's not true justice. Everyone pursuing the concepts of justice in the church and out with the church. But the question is, how is justice defined? How is it defined? Who defines justice? Does our government define justice? Do our laws define justice? Does the kind of common voice of society define what justice is because it was justice in 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 the past to 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 harm people we think about the issue of of slavery and and the persecution of people of a certain race and how well that's that's fine at that time that was perceived as justice who defines what justice is god defines justice every single person made in the image of God irrespective of where you've been born irrespective of the struggles that you're going through right now everyone has value but who defines justice Amos stepped over the, the border and proclaimed judgment because they had let go of justice but first and foremost they had let go of righteousness for injustice to be felt there has to be a sense of 
justice, a standard that is broken. And so the question is, what standard has been broken? Or better question, whose standard has been broken? So the people have let go of righteousness. They let go of God. They let go of the honoring of God's law. And so the consequence was that they were going to be judged for it. So come on, Stuart, cheer me up. We're going to get there. Don't worry. Uh, but this is important for us to hear. Here's the thing, though. God is good. Amen? Amen, amen. God is good. God always offers hope, but it was not going to be seen in that generation. What happened to Amos? Rabbinical tradition suggests that King Uzziah had him killed. Why? Because he did what Jesus did. He stood up and he stood for righteousness in a, in a time of uh, unrighteousness. What happened to Christ? He was killed. What happened to Amos? Rabbinical tradition says that he was killed because he chose to stand up. That does not, that isn't the best sales pitch for mission and evangelism. I understand that, but that's what seems to have happened. God offers hope. Here's the thing though. It wasn't going to be experienced in that generation, perhaps not even in the next one. And that reminds us again of this dynamic of having a generational perspective. Now, for those of us that have young children, or for those of you that have children who have children, or maybe for those of you that have children that have children that have children, you understand generational dynamics of what I do impacts the person that I am raising. And so the people were going to be judged, and their children were also going to feel the brunt of that but they were called to have a generational perspective on holiness righteousness justice faith it's a word for today do you know we got a check through the post from nicola sturgeon was it a check or it wasn't it, came, it must have just come into our bank account was it 500 pounds months ago maybe a couple of years ago and it was um just before an election cycle which i thought was totally interesting wasn't it but it was meant to be, you know, to help people who are in need. We were receiving uh, some help at the time, uh, and we got this. We got this gift, and I just thought that's nice. But our country's totally broke, so that means that Ailey and Bethany are going to pay for that in the future with their taxes. So actually, having a generational perspective on debt, massive. Anyway, we won't go into that. Uh, God wants us to think about how um, our lives impact the lives of those, not just me, but my children and my children's children. If you haven't got children, okay, how does my life impact the, ch the children that are in my community, in my nation, the children in my school, in my community? So, every single generation will reap the condition of the previous generation's faith. I believe that. What happened with Amos standing up in Israel? The generation was going to reap, the next generation was going to reap the consequences of the lack of faith in the previous generation. I see that, I don't see that as a massive burden. I see that as that means that we can have an impact on the next generation. That the way we live out our faith can transform the next generation. Does that excite you? 
That excites me, that when we look at our children in our community and their children coming beyond that, there can be change. So let's get to Hosea. Uh, let's get to Hosea. Now, this is running parallel at the time I touched on, and God is doing what God does best. Who likes hearing things more than once just to let it sink in? Who appreciates hearing things repeated? I do. So God is doing what he does best. He's repeatedly conveying the same message because he is consistent, he is unchanging. But he's doing it, and this is what I love about God. And I've, I've noticed this um, in all churches as well, is that I'll preach on something, and then somebody else will get up and say the same thing, and people are like, oh yeah, come on. And it's because a different voice is saying the same thing, or it's being said in a different way. I don't take it personally. Um, I've been in churches where I've noticed that, where I, the pastor that I've been listening to has said things, and I haven't tuned in fully until uh, Margaret or Jean or, or Bob gets up and says the same thing. And you're like, oh, that's fantastic. God does that. He says the same thing in different ways. So what's happening here in Hosea? The same thing is being said in a different way. And he's using thoroughly ordinary thoroughly average people turn to your neighbor and say you are thoroughly ordinary no offense no offense and that means have i lost have i lost my my audience that means that means that god can and will work through you he did that all throughout the word of god he picked people who were thoroughly ordinary I didn't ask you to turn and say you're thoroughly average because that maybe feels even more offensive. But it's true. He used ordinary, average people. But here's the thing. God wants to get through to his people, and so he has to use a range of methods. Does God have a voice today for our, our reality? Absolutely. The world would tell us no. The world would say God is either dead or doesn't exist. I would propose God has a voice for our time. And he wants to get that voice heard. And so what does he do? He uses a range of methods because he's a good father and a good teacher. He uses real life realities to paint spiritual and eternal truths. And that's where we come to Hosea. Everything tells something of God's story. We look at creation. We look outside today. We see the, the sea, the hills, the wildlife, and the natural world all saying that there is a creator, I would argue, there is a designer, everything in balance. The fingerprint of God is on all of creation. And then we've got beyond creation, we've got the heavens declare the glory of God. So beyond the natural world, we look to the heavens. Not just nature and animals, though, human beings, you're made in the image of God. Do you believe that? Turn to the person beside you and say, you are made in the image of God. So that means you're actually not overly ordinary. Let me retract that previous statement. We're extraordinary as well as being ordinary. We're walking, talking evidence of the nature, the character, and the creativity of an eternal God. That is you. So when we said God sees you, thank you, Adrian, for that. God sees you. Do you feel significant when not just that God sees you and that God will speak to you, but you are a walking, talking example of the nature and character and creativity of a living God? Come on. 
you're having a rough day, just let that truth marinate in your mind. There's an image. Then there's elements of our lives. Your story tells God's story, our relationships, friendships, self-sacrifice, laying down our lives metaphorically in love. Our marriages, the picture of the bride and the groom found in Christ and his church. Our children, how we deal with them, how we live with them, how we raise them. Every aspect tells a story. About every aspect of our lives as well shows us that we're imperfect and that we are flawed. What we're going to see, though, as we look at Hosea, um, are you, any plans for the afternoon? No? Um, I think as I revisit the previous week, I'm going to have to revisit this again next week. Um, let's do Hosea justice next week. I'm not going to rush it this week. But let me just, uh, let me just emphasize this one point. Our lives tell a story. Our lives tell a story. And we're going to look at Hosea next week, and we're going to see that his life told a story. It told an incredible story. It told a story. I'm going to go into it now, am I? I can't, hold, I can't help myself. I can't, let me just give you a taster. I want to read a bit of the Bible. That's why I don't want to just close off. God calls on, on Hosea, who was, what well, tells us in, in, in chapter 1, Chapter 1, verse 1. I don't think we've got that on the slides, Alan. That's fine. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Berai, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and of Jeroboam, son of Je uh, Je Jehoash, my goodness, king of Israel. So here we have these, these uh, names that you'll be familiar with. We mentioned King Uzziah. We heard about Jeroboam, how he was known as one of the worst uh, kings of the time, came to him. Who was he? Well, Hosea, who was he? When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said to, this to him, go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity. Go and marry somebody of promiscuity. He told Hosea, to step into a relationship with a woman that he knew would be unfaithful to him. Isn't that incredible? God knows all things in advance. He invited Hosea to step into a relationship with a woman who would be unfaithful to him. God invites Hosea to step into a covenant with this woman. Now, let me just share one thing and then we'll, we'll go, let's go back to Mount Sinai and then we'll, we'll deal with Hosea next week. God invited the people of Israel to step into a covenant with them. So when Moses went up the mountain, remember we've got this, for those of you that are visiting, why have you got tape on the floor? Well, this illustrates many things. One of the things it illustrates is that you have the people of Israel at the bottom of the mountain. You have some of the, the, uh, the, the elders that were invited up the mountain with Moses. And then you have Moses being invited through the clouds to the most holy, intimate place. God made a covenant with the people. So they see the incredible power of God. He made a covenant with the people. And what did they say? They said, we will obey. We're going to follow. 
Why did they say that? They saw that because they got a glimpse of the reality of God, the power of God. And there's something for us in our witness. We're inviting people to come and trust in Jesus. Let's give them a glimpse of the reality of God in any way we can. That's why the power of the Spirit working in, in a laying on of hands or a healing, or, that's why these things can be beneficial. Or a word of knowledge into somebody's life to say, listen, God sees you. If I look at Daniel and speak into Daniel's life, something about Daniel that Daniel needs to hear, and Daniel's like, Stuart, how do you know that? I can say because God sees you, and because he has told me, because he loves you, he wants you. So the people hear this, they get a glimpse of God. Here's the question which will lay a foundation for next week, and I apologize, we do normally love to read the word of God uh, more in depth, but hopefully we're conveying enough this morning. Did God know the end from the beginning when he spoke to the people at the bottom of the mountain? Absolutely. Did he know that they were going to fall short? Absolutely. Did that stop him from making a covenant with the people anyway? No. Here's a dynamic of for God so loved the world. God knows that we are flawed. I'm looking at Helen. Helen knows that I am flawed. God knows that we are flawed. But yet, even when we were, before we were born, God knows, God knew our, the moments we would fall short. But he still beckons us to come in to covenant with him. He puts a hand out and he says, John, come into covenant with me. John, have you been perfect your whole life? Don't answer that question. Um, none of us have been perfect. But you know, God's, God, God's love for John is so that he wants to beckon John into that space, that place of covenant, even though, let me talk about myself, John. I'm not going to talk about you. That's not fair. He beckons Stuart into covenant, even though he knows that Stuart is going to fall short. So that is the synopsis of what we're going to look at next week. So you can just have a week off if you don't want to come. No, please come. Come and let's journey this together in Hosea. But he said, go and make... Do you know, I've never thought I could preach a whole sermon on one verse. And there you go. I could actually preach a whole sermon on one verse. God says to Hosea, go and marry a woman that is going to break the covenant that you make with her. Let's just let that sit. Let's go back as well to what was that guy's name like? Leek? Leek. Leek. <laughs> leaf! Not leek. A leaf is far better than a leek. Especially if you've uh, just bought a house. Um, I think I should close. But the principle is that, that we can't look at the fact that people are rough around the edges. We can't look at the fact that they're going to fall short. We have to look beyond that and say, if you are made in God's image as a human being, therefore you're, you're worth reaching out to. You're worth inviting and beckoning to come. Come into covenant with the living God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that, that you can use uh, this time to convey something of truth, even though yeah, praise God, it's not following the script. That's what we long for. We don't want to follow a script. 
But I thank you, God, that your word can teach us so many things, even things we didn't expect to cover. Father, help us, we pray. Help us to understand, though, how privileged it is to step into covenant with a holy, mighty God. So whilst we say that the covenant is broken at times by people or that we fall short, Father, we also remember that it is an absolute privilege to step into covenant with you. And so I just invite you as I, as I do this, Father, help, help me, help us to understand what it is to walk in covenant with you and help us to do that well. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you.